Bibles with you, please open them to John chapter 10. And as we do that, uh, a couple of things for you. If you are new to Knollwood, we would love to meet you today. So if you consider Knollwood your church, and if you're new, or if this is your first day here, we would love to invite you to our what we call our newcomer's lunch. It's just a time for us to get to know you and for you to get to know us. I'm looking at the Gospel of John as we see how Jesus is one with the Father and what that means for us as well. Looking back, this section, this narrative kind of started back in John chapter 7, and now we're continuing on in that same narrative in this same uh, location and same time, but the time continues to move on as that often happens, and now we find ourselves in winter time. But as you get into John chapter 10, let me ask you this. Have you ever doubted? Have you ever wondered? Have you ever curious? I was thinking about this this week as I was wondering, why do I feel the rush when I'm on a roller coaster? Or when you're bungee jumping. At Canadian uh, Canada's Wonderland, they have this thing called, I can't even remember, Extreme Sky Flyer, I think it was called. And it's just essentially a giant swing that's like 200 feet high. And I remember going up there once when I was in grade 8, because I could. And me and my friends were up there. There's three of us, uh, all up, strapped up into these like body type things that you kind of lay on, and you're up there forever up high, and they kind of slowly bring you up, and, and then they count you down. One, two, three. On the count of three, go. My friend uh, did it on one. Uh, there was no preparation. There was no, you know, breathing, getting ready for it. And all of a sudden, you just feel the weight of your body disappear, and that rush begins to happen. As you scream all the way down, and then you scream all the way back up, and then you keep doing that until they kind of pull you in. And I thought about this. Why do you feel a rush? When, you, when you're going up that roller coaster, and especially if you're in the front row, and you're looking down over that hill, that first hill that kind of goes like this, it feels like this. Like, kind of like a concave almost, but it's not, but it feels like that. Why do you feel that rush? I think it has more to do because there's an uncertainty that happens. You know they're safe. They did their tests and all those things, but your mind thinks that something bad could possibly happen. There wouldn't be a rush if there wasn't some sort of feeling of danger that was about to happen. And we like it. That's why we do it. We like going on roller coasters and we love feeling that rush. But I think that is what it is. There's a sense of doubt back in your mind. This could go wrong for me. The cable could snap. The roller coaster could fly off. You could be on the news. You could be stuck upside down on the twirly thing. And, you know, all the blood flowing to your head, the whole nine yards. But there's always that feeling of doubt sometimes. And I think that's where we get our rush. And I think when, I, when we think about this with even our salvation, we can often feel like there's a way that we could lose something, that we could lose our salvation. If you ever wonder if there will be a time if God will be so frustrated with you that, you would give, that he would give up on you. Now we're in John chapter 10, where Jesus addresses many of these things these doubts and whatnot. So if you have your Bibles with you, please follow along with me in John chapter 10, starting in verse 22. The word of the Lord says this, At that time the feast of dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter. 
And Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Just Jesus answered them, I told you, and you did not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. But you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hands. My Father has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hands. I and the Father are one. The Jews picked up stones again to stone him, and Jesus answering them, I have shown you how many good works from the Father... Sorry, many good works from the Father. For which of them are you going to stone me? The Jews answered him, It is not for a good work that we are going to stone you, but for blasphemy, because you, being man, make yourself God. And Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law? I said, You are gods. If he called them gods to whom the word had of God came, and scripture cannot be broken, do you say of whom... Of him whom the Father consecrated and sent into this world, you are blaspheming because I said I am the Son of God? If I am not doing the works of my Father, then do not believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. Again, they sought to arrest him, but he escaped from their hands. He went away again across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing at first. And there he remains. And many came to him, and they said, John did no sign, but everything that John said about this man was true. And many believed in him there. And this is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for today. The sun shining bright and the chance we have to just come together and to worship you. God, I'm just amazed by this time. God, I thank you for this church. I thank you for each person you have called here that we may come and we can worship you in spirit and truth. Lord, we pray for other churches that are gathering very much the same way we are. As they worship through singing, through the reading of your word, through the preaching of your word. And Lord, we pray that you would bless them as they faithfully seek to be disciples, Christ learners, as they go out and make disciples of Jesus Christ. Lord, I think of Chelsea Green and Pastor Peter, and I pray that you would bless them as they seek to be faithful. We pray alongside of them at their news of being able to plant yet another church. And Lord, we thank you for what you are doing in and amongst them. God, we pray for this city, that you would continue to grow your kingdom and call people to yourself. Lord, as we continue to worship you, God, there's no possible way that I can make this turn out on my own. So Lord, will you do that? Lord, prepare our hearts, prepare our minds, give us focus, help us to understand what you are about to tell us through your word. May you be glorified, may you be honored. And Lord, even though I cannot do this on my own, I pray by your spirit that you would use this sermon to bring glory to your name, joy to your people, and salvation to the lost. And amen. In verses uh, 22 to 33, we see this first part here. As Jesus twice says that he and the Father are one. 
Jesus is at the festival of dedication in this first part. And as we continue to walk through, the time is shifting. This is a time to remember the rebuilding of the temple. Now, this means that we have to do a little bit of history as to what has happened. If you grew up in the church, if not, this is what happened. Israel disobeyed God. That's what happened. God sent many men and women into their midst to warn them again and again to get their lives right with God. And God even made a promise back in Deuteronomy. If you break these laws, the ones that we just kind of took over with the kids, these will be the ramifications of what happens. If you disobey, this is what will happen. They disobeyed, and this is what happened. They were exiled. God brought in another nation, an evil nation, to punish his people, brought them into exile into a place called Babylon. In that midst, Jerusalem was destroyed. The temple was burned. So there was no temple. There was no place for the people of God to gather and to worship their God. And as 70 years later, God also kept his promise when he brought back his people to Jerusalem. You see the ongoing trend here. Jesus, God always keeps his promises. And he brings them back. And they begin to rebuild the temple. And eventually they build the temple. And this was done in a book in the Bible called Ezra. And this is the ongoing dedication. This is the festival of dedication. This is a celebration really reflecting upon how God kept his promises and brought his people back from exile, back to the promised land. And they built the temple when God's people came back. So as Jesus is walking through the temple, the people begin to surround him as he's just minding his own business. People kind of just surround him. And they start asking him this very important question. Jesus, when are you going to be straight with us? When are you going to be forthright? And just tell us, are you the Messiah? Jesus' response is simple. I already told you this. They just haven't heard. Jesus' response to the question is that he has already told them. And he told the woman at the well in John 4. He told the blind man that we just did in John 9. The response of Jesus telling the blind man who he is was the blind man worshipped him as Lord. And as he has said, his works, everything that he has done, has always pointed to who he is and where he comes from. Because again, who else can make the blind see? See, the issue, as you see in verse 26, Jesus says, you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. The issue is not a lack of information. There's a ton of information. The issue is illumination. They don't believe because they're not his. See, Jesus has repeatedly spoken of how he was in heaven with the Father before the Father sent him to earth, and he has said that he would return to the Father. He said this over and over again. So let's do a quick recap of what we have seen just in the Gospel of John. We see that Jesus told Nathanael in chapter 1 that he, that he would see heaven opened and the angels ascending and descending on the Son of Man. We saw in the conversation with Nicodemus that the Son of Man had descended from heaven. We see Jesus talking about his father in a way that made the Jews think that he was calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. We see Jesus spoke of doing what he saw and heard the father doing. We see Jesus asserting that the father had given him life in himself. 
Jesus talks about the Bible and how the Bible talks about him. We see how Moses wrote about Jesus. We see how Jesus claimed to be the bread of life. We see how he came down from heaven to do the will of him who sent me, he says in John 6. He says, I am the bread that came down from heaven. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. And he goes on and on and on. And that is just in the first six chapters of John. As he interacts with the people. These are just the things that he said. How about the things that he did? He turned water into wine. Think about the process of making wine. It's not just juice. It takes time. If Jesus comes and makes the best wine possible at a party, at a wedding, it's not just some sort of really cool magic trick. Jesus is Lord over time. He made wine. We see how he did these things, convinced Nicodemus that God had to be with him he says later on. He, he promised to, be, to give living water. He told the Samaritan woman all that, he, uh, that she had ever done, everything, all the men that she ever slept with. He knew every deep, dark, little place of her life. He healed a man who, was, who couldn't walk for, for 38 years. He fed 5,000 people. He walked on water, and as we saw a few weeks ago, he healed a man who was born blind. Nowhere does Jesus allow the crowd or the original readers or for you and for me to say, oh, Jesus is just a nice guy. Nowhere does he say that. Everything he says, everything he does points to who he is and where he's from. He is the one sent by God. There are only two options with Jesus. Either like the born man, the man born blind, you bow down and you worship him or you reject him. I've said this before, you can't sit on the fence with Jesus. A, sitting on the fence is just incredibly uncomfortable. But there is either or. And why do some hear and why do others don't? As Jesus says in verse 27, the sheep hear, my, hear Jesus and are known by him. They also obey and they follow him. And the outcome of this is in verse 28. He gives his sheep eternal life. And they will never, there's an absolute negative here in the original language, they will never perish. I love how the CSB translates this passage, if you pop it up in John 10, 28. It says this, I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, ever perish. No one will snatch them out of my hands. And what do we mean by perish? We are talking about hell. For those who believe that Jesus Christ died for their sins and that he rose again, will be saved. It's not some sort of optional thing. This is what happens. And, and can anybody take this away from them? No, Jesus says. This is impossible. Emphatically, no. But those who are in Christ, no one will snatch them out of my hand. 
You ever feel doubt? You ever wonder, am I ever truly saved? Because Jesus comes and he talks about how is this even possible? In Christ, you cannot be snatched out of his hands no matter how hard. And I think on a side note, I was dwelling upon this this week, how often we come to someone who may be struggling in their faith and we kind of use some sort of weird worldly wisdom. It is not my job, it's not your job to give people assurance of their salvation. That is the Holy Spirit's job. But what I can do is I can point to the Bible that if you're in Christ, you are his. We can point to the Bible of the evidence of one's salvation. This is why being in community with other believers is so important. So when someone says, when I say to my brother in my discipleship group, hey, I know I'm really struggling, I sinned, I messed up again, I'm really wondering how many more times I can do this. And then they can come alongside of me and walk with me and say, hey, look, Nate, I see God working in your life in this way. I see the means of grace being worked in you. I see the Holy Spirit working in you. That's why being part of a church is so important. It's not just for a time for my ears to be tickled, but for me to be encouraged and be reminded of what God has done for me and to help me when I'm struggling too, because we're in this together. I need to be reminded what Jesus himself says. And three things we learn here. Just in this one verse, that Jesus gives eternal life to his sheep, to his people. The sheep will never perish. They will never go to hell. And no one can take his sheep from him. The Father, as he says in verse 29, who has given them to me. Those who are Jesus's have been given to him by the Father. God the Father has given certain people to him. And those people are his sheep for whom he lays down his life for. The ones he calls by name. The ones who hear his voice and know him. And the ones who follow him. And why can nothing ever be taking, taken out of his hand? Because Jesus says he is greater than all. If I took a toonie and I put it into my hands and I closed it tightly and I said, to, I'm going to use my son because he's the youngest of my kids. The other ones, they can get mean. And I say, all right, bud, this toonie is yours if you can take it out of my hand. And I just let my hand out there, and maybe I rest it on my couch or something, and I say, it's yours. This toonie is yours. Actually, the other two would be like, maybe if it was 10 bucks. <laughs> Parents, we all know this one, right? And I just sit there. And he tries to pry my hands open so that he can get the $2. He's not going to be able to. He won't be able to. Because I'm bigger than he is. Like a lot bigger. Right? And I work out. So I got big muscles. No matter how hard he tries, he will not be able to pry out that toonie out of my hand because I'm greater than he is. Now God comes along and he says, no one can snatch my sheep out of my hand. He created the universe with a simple word. And he says, if you are mine, 
you are always mine. You may continue, not may, you will continue to sin. We live in this land of in-between, there but not yet. We are being sanctified by the work of the Holy Spirit as we spend time in his word. And that's why it's important to be in fellowship with other people who are in God's word together because they will tell me and they will remind me of the ways that God has worked in my life and I am growing and I'm not the same person I was a year ago to help in that assurance. But God comes along and he says, in Christ, this is who you are. If you are a part of the flock of Jesus, you can't be lost. We touched on this last week. God knew of these events that happened in our lives from eternity past. They always knew from eternity past that Jesus would be born of the Virgin Mary, that he would grow up, and that he would die on the cross for his people. To pay the price that I could not pay, that you could not pay at all. But he also knew through eternity past that he would choose you and every little sin that you did. Everything. He knew it all. When he created, he knew his people would reject him. He knew Jesus would be sent to, to mount the greatest rescue of all time. And, a scene, and, a, and, and since the foundation of the world, he knew he would save you. And since that time, he knew all of your dirty sins, every little thing that you think are secret are not secret to him. Proof and case in point, the woman at the well. Yet, if you're in Christ, he saved you. He saved you. Not because of anything you've done, but because he is great in mercy and grace. And I come together to gather with you to sing these songs, to open God's word, to remind me of this every day, every week. Charles Spurgeon had this great quote, Consider how precious a soul must be when both God and the devil are after it. Somehow we still doubt that he loves us. In Christ, you are his, and nothing can snatch you out of his hands. In theological terms, we call this the perseverance of the saints. In this quick little paragraph, we learn things like limited atonement and the perseverance of the saints. In verse 29, we see three more things. The Father has given the sheep to Jesus. The Father is the greater than all, and no one can snatch the sheep out of the Father's hand. And we see that the I and the Father are one. They are separate but the same. They are three persons in the Trinity. There is one God existing in three persons. The one word there is actually neuter. It's not masculine. If it was masculine, we'd be talking about an identical person, two people who would be the same, but it's neuter. So Jesus is saying that they are one in divine essence. The Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit possess alike the fullness of the divine nature. See, Jesus wants his people, those who are in Christ, to enjoy assurance of final salvation. They are his sheep and believe in and obey him, the good shepherd. He is the good shepherd. He laid down his life for them. And not only that, but he will take it up again and did. 
He knows his sheep intimately. He gives them the gift of eternal life and promises that they will never perish. He explains that the sheep are safe in his and the Father's hands and no enemy can overpower the Father and the Son and take the sheep away. It's not like the devil can come and claim your soul from his hand. It is the Father and the Son who are persevering his people, keeping the people safe until the end. We need to be reminded of this every day. Romans 8, 29 to 39 says, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who could be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Whom shall bring any charge? Any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written... For your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No! In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure of that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, or nor things to come, nor powers, nor heights, nor depths, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. If you're his, if you're in Christ, you're in his hands. And nothing will take you away. Does that mean that you get a, get a jail-free card for living the way you want? No. As we learn in John 9 and John 8, Jesus constantly says, if you love me, you will obey me. And I obey not because it wins favor with God, but because I have a heart that desires to. How about Ephesians 1, 13 to 14? It says, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Sealed. Done deal. Who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. To the praise of his glory. One thing I hope, for those of you who are in Christ, I hope you are both challenged to make sure that your life, as Ephesians 4 says, is living in a way that you are walking in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. But that you are resting in Christ. He's done the work. 
He's the one who laid down his life. He's the one who put you into his hands. He's the one who's clamping it tight, and he will hold you until the end. As you stand before God. Jesus doesn't want his people to line up threatened by, to, Jesus doesn't keep his people in line, sorry, by threatening to put them out of his family. This idea, if I sin one more time, I'm out of here. So God, please, I don't want to sin anymore. What type of sadistic God are you believing in? How is it that that lie, how does that lie line up with the truth of God's word? It's the truth of God's word that shows it as a lie. Christ himself is the one with Father, and God's people could not have a better shepherd. God's people could not be safer. Jesus makes a promise that he and the Father will keep his people safe. And has he ever broken a promise? Show me where. Show me where he has made a promise in his word and he never kept it. In fact, he kept his promises when he warned his people. And he kept his promises about what would happen even after he disciplined his people. He kept his promise when Jesus was the promised Messiah back at the beginning of the Bible in Genesis 3. And the outcome of what he says here, the outcome of what Jesus says here in verses 31 to 39 is that they would try to stone him. They're trying to stone him again. See, the response of what Jesus says is that they seek to stone him. If there's any misunderstanding of what Jesus is trying to say, the people who are listening to him right now understand fully, without a doubt, what Jesus is saying. That's why they want to stone him. They don't believe he's God. They don't believe that he's the Messiah, the one who would come to save them from their sins. And Jesus knows they understand that point, and he points them back to his works. See, the Jews knew that what he was saying, and that is why they would try to stone him, just like back in John 8. So what is blasphemy? When, when the writer of this uses the word blasphemy, that the people are accusing him as blasphemy. Blasphemy is a, a verbal, written reproach of God's name, his character, his work, or his attributes. It's saying, oh, God's not that. And blasphemy was a serious thing. It was a serious crime in the law of God that he gave to Moses. The Israelites were to worship and obey God. And even in Leviticus 24, we see an example of a man who was charged with blasphemy. The outcome of that was that he was stoned. Why? Because a name is more than just a label. It was symbolic. It represented a person's character. So when the Jews accused Jesus of blasphemy, they see that Jesus was speaking truth, that he wasn't speaking truth, and using and, and completely ignoring his works as proof. So, for you and for me, what do you believe? How do you see Jesus? Just as a guy who did some good works and he made some people walk and, you know, the blind see and... You know, he had an epic party with a bunch of food. Or do you see him as something else? Are his works pointing to who he is and where he came from? 
In verse 34, Jesus quotes Psalm 2082, verse 6. I said, you are gods, sons of the Most High, all of you. See, the word gods that is often used here, Elohim, is used not only to describe the true God, but is also used to uh, label the false gods. It's also used in every once in a while to describe men who God puts in place of judges over God's people, and their job was to pour out God's justice. And that's what's happening here. In Psalm 82, these are men who were judges who would dispense God's justice. So here's the argument. Premise one, God calls, God calls beings other than himself gods in the Old Testament. The premise two, scripture cannot be broken. So everything it says is true. Premise three, God consecrated Jesus and sent him into the world. So Jesus' conclusion is this. Jesus is not blaspheming when he claims to be the son of God. He is saying that I am God. Scripture cannot be broken, he says. A strong statement of the authority of the Bible. Jesus says here that scripture can't be broken and something even those in the crowd who will stone him agree with. Don't go over this too quickly. What this is telling us is that Jesus believes, Jesus himself believes every word of the Bible to be totally true, trustworthy, reliable, and unbreakable. So what does that mean for those who call themselves followers of Jesus? You must think about the Bible the same way he does. I think sometimes we take culture and we put the Bible through a grid of culture, but the Bible is the grid. It's the thing that filters everything. It's super cultural. It's above culture. And if we believe the word of God the same, that, same uh, way that the, one we, who claims, that the one we claim to follow does, then let us be like the Bereans that we see in Acts who search the Bible for what it says, trusting it and relying upon it. If I am not doing the works that my Father Jesus says, then do not believe me. Everything that Jesus did was a giant neon sign showing the correctness of his claim to divinity. Because again, who else could make the blind see? Who else could feed 5,000 people with a couple of uh, of fish and and some loaves? Who else could uh, make those who are born blind see again? Who else could do any of these things? Calm the storm, walk on water. Who could do any of these things if they weren't from God? The Father is in me, he says, and I am in the Father. And we're talking about a mutual indwelling that is happening within the Trinity. Again, they sought to arrest him. Again, they tried to kill him. And I love this. I love how, do you see something that's happening throughout this time? If ever, any time we doubt that God is sovereign, or if he's not in control of everything, Every time they try to kill him, they can't. He hides, he somehow maneuvers his way through it. It's like they all arguing with each other about who's going to throw the first stone, and Jesus kind of just like, 
but it's not an accident. Jesus doesn't go to the cross as a victim. Jesus doesn't go to the cross as an accident. Jesus goes to the cross as a pre-planned plan since the eternity of time. God is in control, and he will give up his life when he's ready, when it is the appointed time. So even as they pick up the stones ready to go to charge Jesus with what he says, he escapes from their hands. Why? Because it's not the appointed time. So how do the Jews respond to their God? They try to arrest him. What's your response to your God today? As Jesus escapes and he goes again across the Jordan to where John the Baptist, his cousin, was preaching. As he goes there, he begins to interact with those people whom John said, I love this part here, in verse 41, And many came to him, and they said, John did no sign, but everything that John said about this man was true. And many believed in him. John the Baptist came as a witness. He proclaimed Jesus Christ. Just as we are called to go out and make disciples of all nations, we're called to be a witness of Jesus Christ and to tell and to proclaim who he is and what he has done. But as these people come into contact with the true living Jesus, they realize that everything that John the Baptist has said before was true. This is who he is. And they believed him there. So what do we do with all this? Jesus, is, Jesus promises that he and his Father will keep his sheep safe. The Lamb of God is God the Lamb. Could Jesus have been any more explicit about this, about his identity and purpose as the Messiah, as the Savior, as the Christ? Apparently many Jews felt, still felt he was some sort of like veiling his identity. But the issue wasn't one of information, but illumination. Jesus' sheep hear his voice. They understand him because they know him. But you know what I know is even more amazing? It's not only to know Jesus, but to be known by Jesus. And that's Galatians 4.9. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to this weak and worthless elementary principles of the world? Whose slaves you want to be once more? See, to be known by Jesus is to be held secure by the grip of his grace. No one can snatch the believers from Jesus' hand or from the Father's hand. Why? Because Jesus and the Father are one. They are both divine, acting with power and purpose that human forces cannot negate. This is an affirmation both of Jesus' deity and of that biblical doctrine of the Trinity and also of something else called conversion. Those listening to Jesus certainly looked at it this way because they wanted to stone him for blasphemy. Maybe you would like to respond to God with faith and trust, praise and worship, thanks and celebration, but your sin is making you think that God would never receive you. Or maybe... 
He causes you to struggle with the assurance of your salvation. What does the Bible say? The very Bible that can never be broken, the scriptures that can never be broken, what does it say? We must look away from ourselves and look at God the Father and God the Son. The triune God is the one who saves. God the Father is all-wise and all-powerful. God the Son is all-convincing and all-satisfying. God the Father and God the Son have the power to save you. It is the Holy Spirit who will work in your life to make the fruits of true salvation grow. And that's why there's a blessing of being in community with people opening the Word of God together. So we can encourage one another in these things. It is that fruit that proclaims the name of Jesus. His name is at stake in our salvation. If you could be taken out of the hand of God, could he even save you then? No. I don't know about you, but I'm a total screw-up. If I could control somehow my own way, my own salvation, I'd be in a lot of trouble. Jesus wants his people to enjoy salvation, the assurance of final salvation. They are his sheep and believe in him and obey him, the good shepherd who lays down his life for them and takes it up again. He knows them intimately. He gives them the gift of eternal life and promises they will never, ever, ever perish. He, exclaim, he explains that the, the sheep are safe in his hand and the Father's hand. No enemy, no enemy, nothing can overpower the Father and the Son and take the sheep away. In fact, the Father and the Son are one in performing the divine work of perseverance, preservation, keeping the people of God safe until the end. I'm going to keep sinning until I get to glory. And praise be to God that he's holding me tight. Does it mean that I don't struggle against the sin in my life? Did you know that struggling against sin in your life is actually a sign of salvation? Do you even care? God does not keep his people in line by threatening to put them out of his family. No, 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 no. He is the good shepherd. And he pledges that he and his family will keep them, and he will keep them safe. And how do we respond to God? Will we submit to him or vainly try to stone him? Will we believe what he says or reject him for it? You know what the right response is? The right response is faith and trust, praise and worship, thanks and celebration. Jesus promises that he and his Father will keep his sheep safe. Christ is our shepherd. Christ is God. God is our shepherd. We are safe. And you can breathe. The deacons are just finishing up a book right now. Uh, in our time together, we meet monthly and we gather to pray for you, for our church. We also come to read some theology books. And every once in a while, they get these complaints. The pastor's making us read another book. 
But this is a great little book which we have in our library. It's called Conversion, How God Creates a People. You see how small that is? Look how tiny it is. It's like 100 pages. Maybe. Oh, no, I shouldn't say maybe. It's 130. (laughs) It's a good little book that kind of lays out how God saves a people for himself. How God calls people to himself and what that means for us. There's a tension that the Bible creates. We are saved purely by God's grace, but that doesn't give us a license to continue to live whatever way we want. Romans talks about this explicitly. Because we, if we are saved, we've been given a new heart, and with that new heart, we have a desire to obey our Father. Does it mean we get it right all the time, like our kids? No. But we are in his hand. We are safe. Let's pray as we continue to worship our God. Father God, I thank you so much for who you are and what you have done for us through your Son, Jesus Christ. I pray that we would see what we see here in your word and that we would just be encouraged. I pray that we would also be encouraged to live in the way that you've called us to live. Lord, if we are your sheep, we will hear your voice and we will obey it. But Lord, I thank you that we're saved by grace, by your mercy, and that if you've put us in your hands, nothing can separate us from your love. So Lord, may we praise you in spirit and truth today. Amen.